Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Fear. I'm your host, Paul Rondo, and in today's story, we have a continuation of a story we had a couple weeks ago. It was The Man in My Basement Takes One Step Closer Every Week. In this, we move on to part two and learn more about the paranormal activity that this uh, coat rack actually gives off. So, without further ado, let's get into the story. The Man in My Basement Takes One Step Closer Every Week, part two. By Polterkites. I stood at the living room window, waiting. Finally, the garbage truck pulled up to the curb. A heavy set man in a bright orange biz vest stopped up, stepped off the back, spat dryly onto the pavement, and hoisted my garbage into the back, com the back compactor. Climbed onto the truck, he unceremoniously tossed the aluminum bucket back onto the road. My release vanished. Inside the bucket was left behind, foot long splinter, a lingering remnant in the coat rack. Bursting through the front door, I, I yelled after the garbage truck and alerted to a gurgling stop. Forced a smile, strode across the road, the yard, bent over, reached into the can, grabbed a splinter of wood, and tossed it into the truck. The man in the viz vest blinked disinterested as they drove off toward the next house. The truck's compactor pressed down with a satisfying crunch. Goodbye, coat rack. There was a strange comfort in it, as though the coat rack itself had some special power over me. A power which, upon its destruction, had lifted. Strolling back towards the house, I caught myself smiling, almost feeling happy. I wrapped my hand around the front doorknob, and a sharp pain shot at my wrist. My hand swung back like an electric shock. Gritting my teeth, I turned my palm around. A splinter about the size of a blood test needle was lodged in between my thumb and pointer finger. I breathed in, pinched the splinter, yanked it out, and tossed it back over my shoulder. I stepped inside. I pulled the door shut and red smeared across the brass knob. I turned my hand over. A thin line of blood trailed out from the puncture hole, snaking down towards the tip of my thumb. I wrapped my other hand around the wound and marched back toward the kitchen. Bandages were in a tray on top of the fridge. I pulled them down and wrapped my hand up, turning around. I leaned my back against the fridge, marveling at how quick my good mood had soured. All it took was a wooden splinter, but another thought crept in my head. Part of me, the paranoid, irrational part, wanted to go back and find the splinter, take it out past city limits and burn it. I actually had to fight the urge to go back to do this. It's a coat rack, I reminded myself. Either way, I took comfort in the new security setup. Alarms on every door and window, thick stickers advertising the system to any would-be intruders. I even checked every corner of the house, just to be sure nobody was hiding inside. Despite everything... I still hadn't fully processed the fact that somebody took the time and effort to sneak past my house and set up a coat rack in the basement corner. Not steal anything, not even move anything, just set a coat rack in the basement corner. The simple fact stuck in the back of my head like a stubborn popcorn shell stuck between your teeth. Hunched over my laptop at the kitchen table, I took a sip of bitter black coffee. Thanks to the pandemic, all work was homework now. That was fine by me. I preferred staying home just about anything else anyways. Tapping away, I was finally falling into whatever, into that ever-elusive zen state of work, coding line after line until my phone buzzed against the plastic vinyl laptop. Unknown number. I reached over and froze. Something told me not to answer it. Something told me to block the number. But I shook off and answered anyway. Brandon Miller, said the voice on the other end. I couldn't tell if this was a question or a statement. Speaking? I'm calling about the note, he continued. The one on your doorstep. He sounded young, about 20s maybe. Okay, I said. Yeah, I was the one who left it there. 
I didn't respond. I didn't know how to respond. Look, I know it's weird, trust me. I know better than most. The thing is that you have to make sure you understand what's going on. And make sure you take it seriously. Does that make sense? I didn't even answer. He sighed anxiously. Look, I know you think I'm crazy. Shit, I might be. I just, I need to talk to you in person. I, don't call this number again, I said plainly, and ended the call. I set the phone down, leaned back in my chair, and crossed my arms. In hindsight, I regret my coldness here, but in my defense, I'd seen enough real-life horror by then. I was pushing forward and well acquainted with the crushing mundanity of real-life suffering. I had no desire to indulge in made-up nonsense. Knock, knock, knock. My heart skipped a beat as the pounding of the front door continued. I slid back on my chair and stood up. This clenched. I marched across the room and yanked up open the door. There stood a young man, tall and dressed in a white shirt with black denim shirt pants. Look, I'm really sorry to be this persistent, but immediately I recognized this voice from the phone call. But I had to admit, his appearance was surprising. Until now, I imagined a wheezy-looking little basement-dwelling internet troll. This guy almost looked like a low-key movie star. Young Marlon Brando vibes. Regardless, regardless, I didn't know what to say. He looked down, kicking his feet awkwardly at the ground. He looked up. I just need five minutes, he said. I can explain everything and never come back. His eyes were filled with sincerity. Years of suffering hidden behind a desperate smile. I looked around. Other neighbors were milling about. A few glanced over, concerned. I looked back to him. Fine, I said, my voice dripping with skepticism. He looked back over his shoulder and then back at me. We can't talk here. Let's go for a walk if that's all right. Sure. I considered myself a pretty good judge of character, and he didn't seem dangerous. He seemed worried, if anything. My curiosity was driving now. Early evening overcast gr evening, <laughs> early evening overcast gray fell over the sun suburbs. We walked down the street, side by side, six feet apart, silent. Our shoes scraped against concrete. The smell of outdoor barbecue lingered in the air. He looked back over his shoulder. We were about four houses down from mine. First off, he said, looking forward again, I want to apologize. He slid his hand into his pockets as he walked. I didn't. I don't really know the best way to approach something like this. And I'm sorry for being cynic, cryptic. I grunted noncommittally. Second, I really don't expect you to believe me, he continued. Unless I saw something firsthand, I wouldn't believe me either. He looked up at the clouds and squinted as diffused sunlight cast against his face. The sky was spitting rain now, visible drops. You only felt sporadic, icy pinpricks against your skin. Maybe I'm crazy, I don't know, he continued. My father probably was. I mean, that's what all my family thought. His eyes filled with regret. I'm getting on a tangent, he said, running a hand through his jet black hair. Look, take it seriously for the first couple weeks and see where it goes. If it's bullshit, it's bullshit. I still wasn't sure what to say at this point. I believe that he believed, but that wasn't enough to change my, world, my entire worldview. All you can do is search for ways to slow him down, invite people over as much as possible, try to figure out this way to stop him without breaking the established rules, he continues. I know what. there's the pandemic, but hell, invite a stranger over if you have to. Rent free. Who's leaving your father's house, I asked with directness that surprised even me. I don't know. You don't know? He shrugged again. I haven't been there since, trailing off his silence. He grimaced, looking around the words might be somewhere close. I grew up here, he said, changing the topic again. My sister and I used to collect pine cones in the park. He pointed over the, across the street. Park was a generous word for an empty lot with a couple trees and, and benches. We'd sell them to the neighbors, he said, almost smiling. Pine cones, five cents apiece. He shook his head to a chill went 
He shook his head like a chill went down his spine. Look, you just gotta take the rules seriously, he said, sh shifting back to the previous topic. I still wasn't convinced. You don't know who's living in your dad's house? I persisted. Did you sell it? He stopped walking and turned to face me. Don't try to understand this, he said, rubbing his forehead with the back of his thumb. The more you want, try to make sense of it, the more you try to rationalize, it only gets worse. Sounds like a death cult mantra. For sure, I said. You have my number, right? I nodded. If anything happens, you have any more questions, call me. Anytime. Seriously, anytime. 4am if you have to. I don't care. Okay. It's Mitchell, by the way. He gave a little wave, turned away, and strolled off down the street, leaving me even more confused than before. Worse than that, I was beginning to consider the possibility that this might actually be real. A possibility made all the more disturbing due to the fact that I'd broken nearly every single rule he, his sincerity was unsettling. By the time I got back home, it was dark out. I stood at my front door, riffing for, er, rifling for my keys when, Brandon? A familiar voice called out from behind me. I turned back to see Howie, standing on the curb. I almost didn't recognize him at first. He wore a blue tracksuit with a blue pencil tucked between his ear and blue headphones wrapped around his neck. This guy really likes blue. Howie, I said. Harvest Kid spoke with you, huh? He rested his hands on his hips. I nodded. What'd he say? I shrugged. Same stuff as on the phone. Howie shook his head as, he, as if to say, I expected as much. Poor kid, he said. At least he'll stop bugging you now. Yeah. Just then, besides the house across the street, the outdoor motion light snapped on. Howie looked back to see what it was saying. To see what I was seeing. Through the cracks in the fence, a lion silhouette stood up against the boards. It was hard to tell from this distance, but it almost looked like somebody stood there watching us, peering through the, front, the, bleh, peering through the fence cracks. But the yard was filled with junk, so it couldn't have been, could have been anything. Howie turned back to me. Anyways, he said, pulling up his headphones and turning away. Who's living there now? Howie froze, lowering the headphones, and turned back. Not sure, he said. They never sold it? Nope, not to my knowledge. So it's empty? I've seen someone, maybe a few someones, milling around inside. Ever seen them outside? Howie tilted his head, thinking. He clearly never paid much attention to it. I don't think so, he said. But I got I got a goldfish memory, he chuckled. Shrugged, reached, shrugged, reached to put his headphones back on, and... Oh! His face lit up. I've been stuck on this. He pulled a crumpled piece of paper out from his jumpsuit pocket and read, a thin piece of metal which glows brightly when a current passes through it. He looked up at me, eyes full of hope. Eight words across, first letter F, third letter L. The light across the street snapped on, and a light inside snapped on. Window blind shades cast from inside as someone moved across the living room. Brandon? Filament, I said. Eyes still locked in the house across the street. How we scribbled away. That's it, my god, that's it! It sounded like he just won a thousand bucks. He looked at me. You're brilliant! I looked back to Howie. Glad to help. Anyway, said Howie. His uh, enthusiasm suddenly gone. See you around, he pulled his headphones up and jogged away. I stood there, watching the house across the street. The light inside was still on, but no, no more movement. I turned back to my door and stepped inside, pulling the door shut behind me. I strode into the living room and stood at the window. The house across the street was dark again. I pulled the curtain shut and turned back to the kitchen. The strange smell of gasoline and burnt hair lingered in the air still. Subtle, but unmistakable. I flickered on the kitchen light and sat down at the table and stared blankly at the wall. Harsh fluorescent glow vibrated against the stucco. The white stucco. I should get warmer light bulbs. 
Another thought crawled in my head, a thought that was slithering around in my subconscious for the past few minutes. Mitchell, the dead neighbor's son, did not put the coat rack in your basement. Of course, it's possible he did, but after talking with him, it seemed highly unlikely. This raised another, even worse question. But who put the coat rack in the basement? Owie? Doubtful. Another neighbor? Possibly. Person, the person or persons living across the... Click? The sound of a door popping open interrupted my thoughts. I looked back over my shoulder across the room in the front entrance hallway. The basement door was open. Just a crack. A thin line of darkness. Fuck it. I marched upstairs, grabbed my switchblade from the bedside table, and stormed back down. Each footstep heavier than the last. Knife clenched in my left fist. I swung open the basement door and flicked on the light. I'm armed, I said, trying to fall into sound like a threat. If anything is out there, make yourself known. Silence. Nothing but the hum of buzzing light bulb. I took a deep breath and explained. Okay, I whispered, taking a slow step forward. I used to mock people in horror movies for going down to the basement. But in this moment, it weirdly felt like the best option. It was that or leave the house to try to sleep, knowing it's possibly that someone's hiding in your basement. Call the cops? Tell them I found a coat rack? Most cops don't even have the time to worry about stolen cars, let alone misplaced furniture. None of these choices were appealing. I reached the first stairwell and stopped at the first corner. Somehow, the hallway seemed darker than before. I flicked the light switch, warm glow cast over all. The light wasn't working last time. I stepped forward, the familiar smell of burnt hair and gasoline getting stronger. The short walk down the hallway feeling like eternity. Finally, I stepped into the rec room. Both corners were empty. I breathed relief and felt blood rush into my face, once again embarrassed at my own paranoia. I pocketed the switchblade and turned back when something caught my eye. In the far right corner, behind a stack of cardboard boxes, water, a thick... A thin layer of surface tension slowly spreading across the shiny concrete. Fuck. I never said anything about leaks when I bought the place. I crossed the room and squat down. There were scattered clumps of wet dirt, too. No obvious source for the leak. Strange. The circle of water slowly expanded outward. I stared into it, and my crystal clear reflection stared back. I need a haircut. Drip. My face rippled as the single drop fell above. Of course. I looked up. Drip. Nothing but pink insulation and 2 by 4 beams up there. Could be a faulty pipe, I thought. Might explain the weird smells. Bang! A door slammed shut. Upstairs, around the corner. The basement door slammed shut. I jumped to my feet and whipped out the switchblade. Before I could process what happened, everything went dark. Pitch fucking dark. The kind of dark that makes everything sound like it's right to your ear. The kind of dark that made, you made your thoughts visible. I fumbled for my phone and dropped it into the concrete. Fuck. I dropped to my knees playing in the dark, sliding my hands across the cold, smooth floor, desperately searching for the phone, searching for the light. The smell of burnt hair growing stronger all the while. No phone. Only concrete and cardboard. Boxes. Fuck, 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 fuck. Panic swelling inside my chest like a balloon, threatening to burst right through my rib cage. I froze. I breathed in. I breathed out. I breathed in. I breathed out. The panic stopped growing. It didn't get worse, and I didn't get better. It held in a state of pure survival mode, clenching my eyes shut. I rose to standing. I didn't even know which direction to go anymore. I followed my gut and took a step forward. Up ahead, seven quick thumps staggered down the staircase and slammed against the corner wall. Silence. A sliding sound scraped against the drywall as if someone rose to standing. A sickening chill went down my spine. 
My hand clenched tight around the switchblade. You have about three fucking seconds, I said, once again failing to sound like a threat. Three seconds went by. Five seconds. Ten. Only silence. The sound of my own panicked breath in silence. Fuck it. Knife pointing forward, I rushed ahead, screaming my best attempt at a war cry as I flew through the dark. My ankles caught against the first step and sailed forward, slamming chin first into the corner stairwell, swiping and flailing the knife blind like a madman all the while. The light snapped on. I squinted as my eyes adjusted to the sudden brightness. Flat on my ass, back in the corner of my stairwell. There was nobody here. I looked up the stairs, nothing. I looked down the hallway, I froze. Stood in the corner of the rec room, shattered splinters held together with nails and wire. The coat rack. I don't know what it is about this story, but I I really, really enjoy it. And there's something about this uh, this campfire aesthetic sound I have in the background, too, that really, I don't know, it made the story, for me at least, that much better. And like I've told you in the past, I really do enjoy just reading these things blind so that you get my reaction, basically. Um, also, if you guys have some stories that you'd like to share with me, you can send them over to podcastfear at gmail.com. I'll then showcase those stories, and, uh, I mean... It'd be great to just hear some of you guys' stories. So I'm going to continue on with this story until it's complete. So we're just going to go from three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, once a week. And I think that just might be the best way to do it. So we're not jumping around and we can have some kind of continuity to it. So until next time, guys, always remember to face your fears.